the Mars Climate Orbiter was a robotic space probe launched by NASA on December the 11th, 1998, to study the Martian climate, the Martian atmosphere, and the Martian surface. It was also going to act as the communications relay in the project to land a vehicle on the planet. However, on September the 23rd, the following year, this 638 kilogram space probe exploded near its destination after 10 months of traveling. Having gone into a trajectory which was far too close to the planet, the cost of the orbiter was over $328 million. Now, why did that happen? Why did that accident happen? Well, in this case, as they researched it, they discovered that the navigation error was due to a measurement mismatch. While the NASA software used the metric system, kilometers and meters, the spacecraft builder, Lockheed Martin, used imperial units, miles, yards, feet, and inches. And it was this human error, they hadn't talked to each other, uh, that meant the Mars Climate Orbiter missed its intended orbit and it disintegrated in the Martian atmospheric pressures. You see, if you input the wrong data, it could well have disastrous consequences. And that's nowhere clearer seen than when Jesus specifically asked his disciples who they thought that he was. The crowd had made some suggestions. He was John the Baptist, or he was Elijah, or he was one of the ancient prophets. But Jesus asks them a very direct question. But what about you? And in the Greek, the emphasis is upon the you. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Now, the previous chapters have been leading up to this. If you've been with us over this series in Luke, you'll have been aware of this. It wasn't rushed. There'd been lots of information for the disciples to process, lots of miracles to observe, lots of teaching to assimilate. But when Peter speaks on their behalf, we realize that the disciples had come to, and this is my first point, the unavoidable conclusion. The unavoidable conclusion. For Peter answered, you're God's Messiah. And this declaration is the hinge on which this whole gospel turns. Once they had realized this, once they'd got this right, once they had inputted the right data, then everything changes. Now, interestingly, Luke doesn't tell us where this all took place. Other gospel writers do, but it would seem that Luke omits this detail because it wouldn't have meant much to his Greek and Gentile readers. But for Jewish readers, it added a whole new dimension. For here were Christ's 
disciples. They'd been traveling for a couple of days. They'd been moving north from Galilee, and they were approaching the foothills of the Hermon mountain range. And then they saw it. The town that they'd heard so much about, it was nestled below a huge cliff that towered 150 feet above the buildings. And there in the sun, they would have been able to see that there glistened the white marble of the temples. One of the temples was dedicated to the ancient fertility god, Baal. Another of the temples was dedicated to the Greek god, Pan, and the largest of those temples was dedicated to the Roman Emperor Augustus, which is how the city had got its name. It was known as Caesarea Philippi. And these Jewish boys, these disciples, were aware of the notorious reputation of this place. Fertility rituals, temple prostitution, pleasure-seeking lifestyles. And set into the side of the cliff, they could see that numerous niches had been carved out. And into those niches had been placed many different statues of many different gods. Now, for these Jewish boys who believed there was only one god, this was a terrible, it was an evil place. And it was in the sight of these idols and statues that Jesus asked them this provocative question. Who do you say I am? You see, it was a key question that had been building up for some time. Would they place Jesus in the same category as these powerful leaders or these so-called gods? Was he just someone else who deserved a, a niche of his own? Or was there something different? Was there something unique about him? For they'd witnessed how he'd healed the sick and he'd cast out demons and he'd raised the dead and he'd fed 5,000 and he'd made a deaf man hear. He'd made a mute man talk. He'd made a crippled man walk. He'd made a blind man see. And in addition to all this, they'd heard the words that he had spoken. They saw the life that he lived. No, there was something unique about this man. Something remarkable, something that humanly could not be accounted for. And so their leader, Peter, blurts out, you're God's Messiah. You see, they were recognizing that Jesus Christ was not just one amongst many. Not just another one worthy to have a temple built on site not just another one worthy to fill one of the God niches in the rock, but that his place was above them all. And just as the cliff face towered over Caesarea Philippi, so Jesus Christ towers over all the so-called gods of men. He is not one choice amongst many. He is not one option in the supermarket of religions. He alone is God. He alone provides the way of salvation. And just as such a claim would have been outrageous in Caesarea Philippi, 
with its easygoing acceptance of all kinds of gods, so such a claim is outrageous in 21st century Edinburgh. For here we are, surrounded by the temples erected by modern man in his honour and for his pleasure. There are the restaurants where you can eat all sorts of food for all kinds of prices. There are the numerous theatres and concert venues with their calendars of entertainment. You can stay in luxury here in a variety of hotels. You can drink yourself into oblivion in the numerous pubs and bars that fill the city centre. And the finance houses and the business offices that populate the surrounding streets declare the worth and value of money. And however legitimate or not these things may be, Jesus Christ claims precedence over them all. That's why your answer to this question, who is Jesus, is so vital to get right. You see, if you input the wrong data to this, then everything else is off course. If you just relegate Jesus to some sort of religious pantheon where you're in control, my friend, you are certain, like the orbiter, to crash and burn. You see, for the disciples, it was the unavoidable conclusion. But having got that data correct, they were then faced with, and here is my second point, the unimagined consequence. The unimagined consequence. Luke 9, verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Now, this wasn't what they were expecting. When they said that Jesus was God's Messiah, they'd been brought up to believe that this was, would be someone like great King David, a warrior a freedom fighter, a deliverer who would eject the occupying forces by military power. It certainly wasn't someone who'd be rejected by their nation's leaders and who would end up dying. And they certainly had no clue as to what he meant by being raised to life. This was so far beyond them. This wasn't what they were expecting. And maybe it sounds just as strange to you this evening that victory comes through death, that conquering comes through sacrifice. And yet the Bible reveals that mankind's greatest enemy cannot be defeated through military victories or political systems or educational processes. Our greatest enemy lies within, actually. It's our sin and selfishness. It's our ingrained rebellion against God that separates us from his presence and contaminates our search after joy and meaning. And it was only through Jesus taking upon himself our sin and its consequences that we can be set free, that, that we can be delivered. 
You see, on that cross where Jesus died, he made it possible for rebels to be forgiven, for the guilty to be made clean, for failures to have a new start. And the disciples were just beginning on that journey to discover what Jesus had come to do as God's Messiah. In fact, the rest of this gospel now sets the direction for Jesus to go to the cross. No longer, actually, is Luke primarily concerned about who Jesus is. He now goes on to explain what he came to do. But this new understanding of what Jesus came to do also has massive implications for his followers. It not only wasn't what they were expecting, it also then came with, and this is the third point, the unexpected condition. The unexpected condition. Let me read Luke 9, verses 23 to 26. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You see, with their understanding of a physical kingdom where the Messiah would reign over Israel's enemies, the disciples thought, great, here's the coming Messiah. We're on a fast track to wealth and to power and recognition. He's, he's going to chuck them out. He's going to be the deliverer, the one we've been expected, and we're his disciples. Even James and John approached Jesus and asked for the top positions in what they thought would be the Messiah's government. They had dreams of special places within the cabinet and all the glory associated with it. But Christ needs to correct that understanding. As he has just revealed, the coming kingdom was not one achieved through military victory but through sacrificial service. Jesus said, actually it was like them carrying the patibulum. You know, when they crucified people on the cross, the cross piece was known as the patibulum. And when someone was going to be crucified, when someone was going to be executed like that by execution, they put the patibulum, the cross piece, on the person's shoulders as they were marching to the place where it would then be nailed to the upright facing the jeers of the crowds as they went on their way to certain death. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you follow me, that's how it's going to be like. So suddenly the cost of following Jesus is revealed to the disciples in stark terms, clearly at odds with what they had been anticipating. They thought it was going to be glory and wealth and recognition. And he says, you're going to your death. You're going to need to live daily as if you're on the road to crucifixion. And could I say, if there is anyone here thinking about acknowledging Jesus as Saviour and following him as Lord, then understand this. This is costly. 
To put Jesus above all others invites the criticism and jeers of your family and of this proud society in which we live. It goes against the grain. It invites you to march to a different beat. But when you've looked at the evidence, when you've processed the data, when you've come to the conviction that Jesus is who he claims to be, when you've grasped the wonder of his love and the graciousness of his invitation as he says to anyone, come to me, if you're weary, if you're laden, if you're conscious of your sin, come to me, whoever you are, and I will give you rest. When we're aware of that, then you can be nothing other than a committed, passionate, sold-out follower of the coming King of glory, whatever the cost. Remember, handle the data wisely or the outcomes might be disastrous. At the beginning of this century, the Spanish Navy decided to upgrade its fleet by ordering four new diesel-electric submarines. The first one, known as the S-81 Isaac Peril, was the first in line, and it should have been delivered in the year 2011. The Cartagena shipyard started constructing it in 2007. However, when they were deep in the building process, they discovered that the new sub would be 75 tons overweight. Now, this massive imbalance in the design floor was due to a miscalculation. Someone put a decimal point in the wrong place. And so to correct the issue, they needed to extend the vessel's hull to give it the necessary balance to accommodate this extra 75 tons. But this then caused a new problem. As the sub that they were building became too large, for the docks. Hence, one misplaced decimal point has increased the cost, which is now running close to $1 billion a boat, and prolonged the construction. Although the lead boat in the class, the Isaac Peril, was launched on the 22nd of April 1921 at the Cartagena shipyards, the sub has still not entered service two years later. So what will you do with Jesus? Who do you say he is? What will you do with the evidence? Will you input the data Correctly, will you see him for who he is? My friends, be very careful. You may not be aware of it, but as you've come to these services, maybe Sunday evening after Sunday evening, and you've been hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ and his worth has been declared to you, and you understand who he is, who he claims to be, my friends, be very careful what you do with the evidence. If you decide to ignore it, if you input other data, if you input some of your own foolish, stupid, selfish conclusions, my friends, it will be crash and burn. 
Consider the evidence. Respond wisely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word gives us this clear declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. We thank you, uh, sovereign God, uh, for the truth that the disciples came to as they understood, as Jesus invited them to think about the evidence that indeed he was the Messiah, God's promised one who came to be the saviour of the world. We thank you that that was achieved not through military victories, but through death on a cross, as Jesus took upon himself the failure of folks like us so that we could be set free. Sovereign God, would you please give us clarity of thought and mind, save us from being disinterested onlookers and listeners to these things, but Father, help us to process the data well and to kneel before you and recognize that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song about the fact that Jesus is Lord. So please stand and let's join in together.